God, what an amazing song to lead us into what we're going to speak about today, what we're going to see in your word today. God, that the enemy desires to shackle us, to enslave us, to shame us, to guilt us. Uh, but true teaching from your word brings freedom, it brings grace. And so, God, may we cling to that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys be seated. Man, I love us praying together um, for something as a church. Uh, we, we got, I got a chance, which never happens for us. I got a chance to stand in the back and pray with a couple of staff members um, for D weekend during church. We're always doing other stuff, and so we got to pray together. Uh, but last Sunday, the message out of Second Peter, I, I told you, is, is a two-part message, and this is the second part. Uh, but I want to summarize the two weeks with, with one statement, okay? One, one question for you to think about from last week and this week to pull it all together. Who am I listening to, and where are they leading me? This week, as I prepared more and more through this passage of 2 Peter, the, the first three weeks that we looked at in 2 Peter walked us through chapter 1, and we saw what is it to be an authentic follower of Jesus Christ? What is it to be an authentic follower of Jesus Christ, an authentic teacher? What changes in our lives? And then we shifted into chapter 2, and chapter 2 begins to show us a very different teacher, a very different presenter of truth, a preacher, someone who proclaims the word, and the difference of what happens when we follow an authentic teacher and what happens when we follow counterfeit teaching. We've got to figure out, we've got to ask ourselves when we're listening to someone, when we're downloading a podcast, when we're listening to someone preach online, we've got to know how to ask ourselves and be willing to ask ourselves, who am I listening to and where are they leading me? Who am I listening to and where are they leading me? You got to know how to determine what's authentic and what's counterfeit. Crazy things happen to me in life. Maybe it's because I'm a preacher and I need sermon illustrations or it's just my life. But Tuesday evening, I was in Walmart and I was at McDonald's. Sonia and I wanted a hot fudge sundae. I mean, you, gotta, you just got to have one. And so I got in line, and there was a guy in front of me. He had one bag, and I, and I was kind of noticing, you know, he's standing there. And he turns around, and he says, You know that tomorrow inflation's going up in the United States. I said, Really? I was intrigued. He said, the U.S. dollar by the end of tomorrow will be worth three cents. And I said, I haven't heard that. He said, the Federal Reserve released a memo, released a memo today. Media is not going to cover it. Nobody's going to know about it until tomorrow afternoon. Your dollar is going to be worth three cents. A loaf of bread is going to cost you $23 by tomorrow at 5 p.m. I'm a relatively smart guy at times. I hadn't heard about this. I looked down to his bag. There was no bread. Are you getting me? Some of you are like, I don't understand. If I knew that bread was going to cost me $23 a loaf tomorrow, I would buy the entire store of Walmart full of bread and sell it outside for 10 bucks two days later, right? Or at least I would buy one bread loaf for my family. And so I said out loud, that's interesting. You're not buying bread. 
he turned around. He was so offended. He was so offended that I just called him out. Like, authentic versus counterfeit. We've got to know how do we evaluate what we're listening to, what people are telling us, what pastors we're listening to, what teachers we're listening to, even outside what the culture is telling us. How do we know? Are we willing to examine the authentic versus the counterfeit? Who am I listening to? And where are they leading me? Last week, we looked at five uh, principles, uh, assertions that you can make as you're trying to evaluate those. We're going to look at four more today. Uh, Six of these were from an article I read several weeks ago by a guy by the name of Colin Smith. I want to give credit where credit is due. Again, when you're talking about being a false prophet, you want to make sure you footnote the things that you do, right? Um, And so his uh, his assertions that he made, we looked at a few of those last week. We're going to look at a couple of them this week, and then some of those are from my examination of 2 Peter chapter 2. What we saw last week, and I'll go over these really quickly. How do I know the difference between an authentic and a counterfeit teacher? A different message. What's the substance of the message? What do they believe about the person, the power, and the authenticity of Jesus Christ? We've got to ask that question. What's the substance of the message? The next thing we looked at, these are all in your bulletin. If you didn't get a bulletin, you can grab them on the way out. Different desires. What's guiding the teacher? Greed, personal desires, false teaching. The third one, different source. Where does the message come from? Do they proclaim truth from God's word? Different end. Where does the message ultimately lead you? We're going to look at that more in depth even today. Different life. What life do the teachers live? Now, as you can imagine, these two weeks are difficult in preparation for a couple of reasons. One, because it causes a pastor to examine what he's preaching and teaching very carefully. Because the calling here is to examine a pastor, a teacher, someone inside the church that's giving the message, that's presenting the gospel, that's that's explaining God's word to us. Because... In Second Peter, he wasn't just talking about, he was specifically not talking about what culture is teaching us, but what's happening inside the church. What are we taking in inside the church? How do we examine those messages? Then, verses 4 through 11 uh, that we're going to see today are really difficult to walk through because they deal with three examples from the Old Testament. And in each of these examples from the Old Testament, There's an example of sin and an example of destruction. And then in two of those, there's an example of repentance and of of rescue that God offers. Each of those are three Old Testament examples that, that display for us God describing to them, showing the consequences of their following false teaching, the consequence of their sin, and in two of those instances, a rescue of grace that God offers. So really, verse... 4 through 11, the other amazing thing about verses 4 through 11, all of those verses are one sentence. Peter knew how to write an if-then statement. Those are all one giant sentence in the original language, walking through their if-then. If this happened, then this took place. And essentially, just paraphrasing, taking out all of some of the little explanations of verses 4 through 11, can kind of hone that down to this statement. Since God did not spare the angels when they sinned, since he did not spare the ancient world in the, in the flood, but he preserved Noah, and since he did not spare Sodom and Gomorrah, but he rescued Lot, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly and bring consequences to the ungodly. We're going to see that today in 
how would God, and what is he displaying for us in his word, of false teaching and the consequences of false teaching? But at the heart of these references are characteristics that we're going to add to this morning, our five from last week. We're going to look at four this morning. The sixth one that we're going to see today is different character. What kind of people does the message produce? Who you're listening to, what does it lead you to? What, does, what kind of people does the message produce? 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7, in comparison, I, I got these on the screen for you today to see this. 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7. If you want to know what kind of people the message produces, here's what Peter's saying. Let me show you authentic versus counterfeit. Chapter 1, verse 5 through 7 says, if you follow authentic teaching, here's what it's going to produce. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, love. Paul would add to that. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Then Peter comes back on the other side in chapter 2 and outlines for us, let me tell you what false teaching will produce. And here's what he says. They will despise authority. They will be arrogant. They will have an uncontrollable desire for pleasure, selfish, and greedy. He's outlining these, outlining these for us to, to lay them side by side and say the people that we're listening to lead us, produce behaviors in our lives as we follow the teaching that they're leading us back to. He says in verse 10, he says, And especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority, bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. He's displaying for us the character of what happens to those who follow false teaching. He said they are going to be passion, defiling passion, and they're going to despise, despise authority. He goes on to say, or he said earlier, we saw last week in verse 1, that what they deny, they even deny the master, meaning they deny Jesus. They deny being under the leadership of Jesus Christ. A false teacher and a characteristic of their teaching is they don't want to be questioned by anybody. They don't want to be under the authority of anyone. And, they want it, and they'll do it boldly. And he says, they won't even tremble. They won't even get nervous when they proclaim blasphemy, speaking against the word of God. For certain people, Jude 4 says, For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. False teachers lead and produce arrogance uncontrollable desire for passion selfishness greed why because they themselves have an scripture says an insatiable desire for passion it cannot be quenched they're going to do things their way frank sinatra some of you know who that is some of you have no clue cultural divide that we have in the room he had a very popular song, I'm not going to sing it for you, but he says, I did it my way. To think, I did all that, and may I say, not in a shy way, no, not me, I did it my way. That is the voice of a false teacher, 
A false prophet will say, I'm going to do things my way. I'll be bold and I'll be self-willed in doing it. They are shaking their finger at God. They're audacious in, in pointing their finger at God and say, I will do this my way. I'll even deny the master. They have one desire, to serve themselves. Nothing will get in the way. But he also says in that examination of those two side by side that we had earlier, verse 14, he says, They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. Accursed children. Eyes full of adultery. Keeping this PG for our room this morning. They are on the prowl for unfaithfulness in their desires. Their desire for sin cannot be satisfied. It's insatiable. It's unquenchable. They are training in greed. Counterfeit teaching produces students. Know that. Every teaching produces students, but counterfeit teaching produces students, listeners who will carry the same characteristics of their teacher. And I just want to ask you, do we want love, joy, peace, virtue, godliness to be displayed in our lives? Or do we desire to push back against authority and say, I'm going to do it my way, arrogantly, boldly, with greed, with selfish desire. If I were to ask you that, if you had a two-year-old, and say, hey, let me just outline for you. Let me, just, let me give, just give you a parenting seminar here in two minutes. What would you like your children to be when they grow up? Loving, full of virtue, compassionate, peaceful, steadfast, known in their, in their culture for good character. Or would you want them to be known as people who do things their way, they're selfish, they're greedy. And they have an insatiable, an unquenchable desire for sin. There's not a parent in this room that's going to choose the second. But when we choose to listen and not evaluate the teaching that's going into our hearts and into our brains and into our hearts, minds, and souls, then we must be careful that they don't begin to produce those behaviors in our lives. The teacher I'm following, the books that I'm reading, the sources that I'm taking in, what kind of character does the teacher that I'm listening to produce call for me to produce in my life? The seventh thing, different fruit. Sounds very close, but I hope to explain it differently through the, the use of Second Peter verse 17. What result does the message have in people's lives? For if these qualities, chapter 1, for if these qualities are yours and they are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord. That's authentic. You'll be growing in those characteristics. You'll be growing in those qualities. Counterfeit teaching, he says in verse 17, he, of chapter 2, he says, they are waterless springs. The false teachers, they're waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. The counterfeit message promises a life that will quench your thirst. But when it comes down to it, they've got nothing. They've got nothing to quench this thirst that, was, that is inside of you. Nothing that they will produce. It's just a mist driven by a storm. Jesus declared this. 
He said in John chapter 7, verse 37 and 38, he says, one of, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You hear the difference? Peter's saying, listen, if you want to follow this false teacher, he's got nothing that's going to quench your thirst and nothing is going to be fruitful out of your life because you have no well. Nothing to which to attach that to. And Jesus declares himself, you come to me, not only am I going to quench your thirst, but I'm going to fill you up with the spirit. I'm going to fill you up with the virtues and the qualities and the characteristics of becoming more like me. And it's going to spill out into the lives around you. Ask of yourself. At this point in life, the people that I'm listening to, the things, the teachers that I'm following, are they producing in me a fruit that is being poured out and is impacting the lives? Are you shaping the people around you because of the fruit that's coming into? Because of the quench of thirst that's taken place by the teaching that you're following? It should produce for us a living water. I grew up in Charlotte, and uh, there was a particular televangelist at the time when I was growing up. I'll save names, and he made his claim to fame when I was a teenager. And they proclaimed, if you give this level, you get this in return. And I watched an earthly kingdom be built. Years later, I went back because of a job that I had, I went back to the same area, the same property which the proclamation was made from. And there was a hotel that was promised, if you gave this amount, you got a spot in this hotel. And I remember driving up with my dad, and we were driving around this building, and it was a broken down, incomplete, built, incomplete hotel. So just a shell of a hotel. We pulled around back, and there were two cars there, and we went in and just wanted to find out what was going on. Two couples had given up their entire retirement to follow this teacher, promised a spot, and now they live in an empty hotel room without power or water because they said, if you'll follow me, then I'll give you this. And what he had was an empty well. And they pursued it, and they bought into it, and they followed And they got a waterless spring. The tragedy of false teaching is that it will leave an emptiness in our heart, but it will also leave an unbelieving world ready to mock our faith. Ready to mock the cause of Christ because of a false teacher that's proclaimed. So we got to ask what kind of fruit. A different appeal. I'll move quickly through these last two. A different appeal. Why should you listen to the message? Why should you listen to that message of that person that's proclaiming it to you? Where do they base their message? Again, the source. Why should you listen? Verse 19 and 20 of chapter 1. Again, authentic counterfeit. I'll show you authentic chapter 1, counterfeit chapter 2. Verse 19 and 20. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will dwell to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy or scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. 
Authentic messages are built on the promises of God's word. Attached to the prophecy, prophecies, attached to the history that we see. Counterfeit teaching, he says in verse 18, for speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They have a different appeal. Man, they're appealing to those. They're appealing to those who are struggling. Every single one of us in this room have passions and desires. Every single one of us because of who we are. And the false teacher was going to prey on what? Their sensual desires of the flesh. They're barely escaping it anyway. So they're going to teach and they're going to proclaim and they're going to promise. The true teacher asks, what has God said in his word? The false teacher asks, what do people want to hear? What's going to appeal to their desires so they will follow me? Every person has desires. Every person placed in us. But these are guidelines that God has given us for protection. Yet false teaching is going to lead us away from holiness. The last one is this, different position. In what position will the message leave you? Last week you saw what's it going to lead you. Now we're going to say, where's it going to leave you? Pay close attention. 2 Peter chapter 1 tells us, I won't go through it, but it tells us, yeah, we'll go through it. By, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption of this world, that is in this world, because of sinful desire. True teaching is going to, is going to offer you escape from the corruption of this world. It's going to offer you the promises of God's word and protection. But listen to what the false, and we, we sang about this earlier. Verse 19 says this, false teachers, counterfeit teachers, they are going to promise, they promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever, become, whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Let me read that last part again. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. The true believer is escaping corruption. The counterfeit believer and message is mastered by it. The false teacher and this world is going to come to you and they're going to promise to you do whatever you want, do it your way, do it how you want, where you want, live life, no rules, no authority. You take ultimate freedom. And Peter is saying it doesn't work like that. Those teachers, they are enslaved by their own corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Today, I really believe, as I was reading through this this morning and editing this morning, I really believe in this room and on this campus today, there are some of you here this morning that are enslaved and enshackled to something that you thought would bring you freedom. A relationship, sexual desire, 
a device, a substance, a person. For whatever overcomes you will enslave you. But can I remind you what Scripture says? In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, he says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Chapter 5, verse 13, later on, goes to say, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Last verse here, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? There is what? Freedom. Notice chapter 2. It's all about corruption and being enslaved to something that you were enticed by, by something that you were presented that would bring you freedom, but in the end it brings you slavery. And Scripture says, as a follower of Jesus, you have freedom. Not freedom to go and do whatever you want to do, but freedom to step away from the temptations. Freedom and strength to move away from those moments. I always get slightly nervous when I drive in the mountains of North Carolina. And uh, you, you start going up towards Sparta, one of those places. And I'm, I'm so thankful that there's guardrails on the side of the road. Aren't you? I mean, let's be honest, you're, you're thankful that the guardrails are up there and, and, because on the other side, it looks like certain death. I mean, it, it's 500 feet, 1,000 feet. In our minds, it's 10,000 feet. And you're driving along, you're coming down the mountain, you look over, whoa, there's a guardrail there. Thank God, there's the guardrail there. I'm one of those people who I, I, I see something and I want to figure it out. And so back before Christmas, Emily and I were driving to Asheville and we were driving around Asheville. We had a, a day, day together and we... I saw one of these houses way up on the hill in Asheville. And I said, don't you want to know how they get home? And she said, not really. I said, I do. So we're going to go find out. So we go at night. We drive up this mountain. Never been there before. I'm going, I I just want to go up there to the top. So we start driving. The further I got to the top, there were no guardrails. And the road got really narrow. It was one lane as we got up there. There were no signs with the squiggly mark that says there's a turn coming up ahead. Nothing. Then it turned to gravel. Long way down. It's dark. They'll never find us. So I pulled in some random driveway, backed up, started coming back down. When we examine God's word and the freedom that it proclaims, it's guardrails. And too many of us are being taught by culture. And we are allowing it to infiltrate our minds that rules and regulations and promises from God's word are bad things. No, they are guardrails. They are protection. Because God's word and God and his wisdom, he knows what's on the other side of the cliff. He knows what's on the other side of the unsatiable sin the fleshly desires. He knows the corruption. He knows the bondage. He knows what's on the other side. And he says, but I gave my son, Jesus Christ, for you to give you freedom. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give these things in your life, authentic teachers that are going to lead you. And what they're going to tell you is there are guardrails in your life. We are not ashamed at this congregation to say there are conditions There are guardrails. There are rules that have been given by God 
protection given by God because he loves you. Because he knows what's on the other side. And some of you are on the other side of that rail right now. Can I tell you? Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There's freedom for you this morning. And during our invitation this morning, in a moment, I want, you, I want you to take that opportunity to come, not, not to me, you can do it where you're seated, I don't care how you do it, but just to declare to the Lord, the thing that was promised has overcome me, and now I'm enslaved to it. God, help me break free. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Confess your sin. Step into freedom this morning. Shed your shame. Step into his grace.